Welcome to The Fair Sense. With me, Tanya. And me, Kara. Women, money, and the fight to break even. Because we give a shit, and so should you. Today, we're talking about how you can take action to create change. Hello, Kara. What's up, Tanya? I'm really excited for today's episode because there are so many different things we talk about here on the podcast that are really huge challenges. And I think sometimes the scope of them can feel so big that it's easy to feel a bit powerless and feel like, oh, God, the patriarchy is everywhere and it affects our money in so many ways. What can we even do? And I'm really excited to talk today about things we can actually do. We definitely, we go big (laughs) and we definitely like to point out a lot of the issues that we see facing us and women and people in this country. But we always want listeners to finish a podcast episode feeling like, okay, I can go and do X, Y, and Z in my own life, or I can go and do X, Y, and Z in the bigger world. And so today we're going to be talking about some things that you can do in the bigger world. I know you have one great example of some change that has happened on a pretty big corporate level. Do you want to share that? Yes. The company Salesforce is a huge company. It has 30,000 employees and it did $10 billion, $10 billion in annual revenue in 2017. And the head of HR at that company is a woman, Cindy Robbins. And she went to the CEO who is a white male, Mark Benioff, and said, hey, I think that we have a pay gap. And Mr. Benioff was like, no, I don't think so. Like, we're a pretty woke company, and I don't think that's happening here. And they ran an internal pay audit and found that they did indeed have a pay gap. And they fixed it. They spent $3 million increasing women's pay in the company so that everyone was on true pay parity. And not only did they do this once, They did this twice because after some time had gone by, Salesforce had accumulated other smaller companies. And in the words of Mr. Benioff, I'm paraphrasing, he's like, you accumulate companies, you accumulate their habits and their pay practices. They don't necessarily conform to yours right away. So we ran another audit and spent an additional $3 million to bring everybody back up to pay equity. So they spent $6 million in total to truly achieve pay equity, which I just am like, yeah, (laughs) I just, I love that. That makes me so happy. And I think it's such an amazing example of how it doesn't cost companies. I mean, it does technically cost you money, but it's worth the investment and how it's total crap. The company is like, well, we can't do that because you absolutely can't. I love that story so much, not just because they did the right thing, but because there's generally very little financial incentive for companies to do the right thing. You know, like part of the reason the wage gap exists is because most women don't actually know what they're worth or they don't know what men are being paid. And so therefore they're willing to accept lower pay. And that's not our fault. That's just lack of information that's out there and lack of pay transparency that all enable the wage gap to continue. So often companies, it's all the like greenwashing stuff, you know, like they'll get credit for doing a few good things and then the actual important things, there's no profit incentive for them. And so they don't do them. And I think Salesforce is probably a great example of a company that, you know, exists in Silicon Valley. I think they're based in Oakland, but companies there are known for having the pay gap because they're so male heavy. And so if you're just like everybody else, all your peers, what's the financial incentive to do the right thing? Essentially none, you know, like you can get away with it. 
And the fact that they did it anyway, that their head of HR spoke up and said like, hey, I think we have this problem and we need to address it. That was just doing the right thing just to do the right thing. And I love that. She probably took a little bit of personal risk to push for that. And good for her. Way to set an example and fight for women. I think it says the impact, literally the financial impact one person, one woman can have by saying, hey, I'm looking at the data and I'm pretty sure that we have this problem. Let's run a test if I'm wrong. I'm wrong. But if I'm not, let's change the system. And to take that to a CEO can be very intimidating. I applaud Cindy for bringing this up and seeing it through. And I think, honestly, it really inspires me. And I often joke in my life that I take every teachable moment that comes by. But I do, I like to say, actually, I'm not just going to let that joke slide. Here's why I find that troubling. Or actually, I do want to have a conversation with someone about pay and bravely because I need to figure that out and make sure everyone's on the same page. Spoiler alert, it's just me and my intern right now. But (laughs) someday when I'm doing $10 billion in sales, we will have pay equity. We brought up the Salesforce example because that's a case of change being driven by a person. And granted, Cindy was in or is in a senior level role and so has access to the CEO to be able to raise this in a way that not everyone does. And so the goal here isn't to say like, hey, bring stuff up to CEOs, but more to say, let's all look around at the position we're in, the access that we have to to decision makers and looking at the change that we can actually create in our own lives. And in some cases, that's going to be something that looks more like advocacy or activism. And in some cases, it's going to be doing a little bit of agitation at work or maybe both. But we really want to leave you today with some really practical tips on things you can actually do today or tomorrow to help make the world better, honestly, for everyone. But certainly women and people of color have the most to gain financially. So particularly for women and people of color. Today, we're sharing an interview that I recorded with Kristen Rowe Finkabiner, who is the founder of Moms Rising. She also recently published a book called Keep Marching that's all about what women can do to change the world, and it's full of practical tips. Kristen is based in Washington State and has done a lot of work in the D.C. policy space and politics and has just tons of great insights to share with us on how we can make change. up on the big stage at the big women's march. And I I can only imagine how incredible that felt. And obviously, all of what so many of us are doing now is inspired by some pretty terrible events. But at the same time, I imagine it had to feel pretty incredible to see all these women out there on the mall and to, to just sort of absorb the the power of this moment of women really speaking up and using our voices. So I don't know, what did that feel like? And fortunately, I couldn't see all million people in the audience because that is a lot of people. But what I could do is hear them. So I could only see, you know, maybe a couple hundred people that were sort of as far out as you can normally see because they were going down a street. But people were surrounding the stage in 360 degrees. So the noise was amazing. And you kind of know about the sound delay. You read about it in your science classes and middle school. And you understand that it's a thing. 
But it's another thing entirely to be giving remarks and hear a sound delay because the crowd is spread out so far over so many miles that it takes a long time for the cheers to get back to the stage. So it was the noise of the situation (laughs) that was the most memorable. And it was also the fact that so many women turned out not just at the march. I live in Seattle, Washington. So I got on a plane and on the plane were all women and all women in first class. That was the first flight the pilots had ever seen where there were all women in first class. And so what was beautiful about the march is it wasn't just at the main march in Washington, D.C. and the over 600 sister marches. The march happened on planes, on trains, and streets everywhere across the country. And it was an amazing show of power and force by women that really let us take that moment, take a deep breath, and understand that we really can believe in ourselves and in each other and in our own power together. Wow. Yeah. I took almost a thousand flights in my career for work and I never even saw a first class that was half women. So (laughs) that, that particular factoid is super interesting to me. It's so amazing that you were a part of that. And I I think seeing this moment with women really stepping up and speaking up in some big, inspiring ways, I hope is something that's inspiring a lot of folks. You've written a lot about not just the wage gap, but all the dimensions to it. And that when we talk about women earning 70 cents on the dollar to men, that also hides the fact that Latina women earn much, much less than that. And African-American women earn much less. And there's also the wage gap for mothers compared to fathers, that fathers actually get a a boost in pay from having children, whereas mothers are penalized for it. And so what in your mind are the big economic issues that we're really needing to fight for at this moment in time? I often go back to the Webster Dictionary definition of feminism to say why now. And the definition is that it's the political, economic, and social equality of women. And so when you break down those three areas into a why now question, clearly in terms of social inequality, we have a long way to go. We've seen the rise of the Me Too movement because of rampant and epidemic sexual harassment and assault of women. So that is a really indicator that we still have social inequality. Political inequality, similar. We only have 20% of our Congress are women. That's ridiculous. We're just over 50% of the electorate. We should have political parity. And then economic inequality. And you hit the nail on the head with a bunch of the economic factors. The fact that women overall are making only 80 cents to a man's dollar. Moms are making about 71 cents to a man's dollar. And women of color and moms of color are making as low as 46 cents to a man's dollar. That's not okay. You know, the fact that 81% of women in America do become moms, so that means most women are hitting massive maternal walls, walls that are really built of economic inequality is a huge deal. And then we look at the big picture in terms of how people talk about women's inequality and how people talk about women's issues overall. And we see that there's often a giant conversation relating to breaking through the glass ceiling. And that's an important conversation because fewer than 5% of our Fortune 500 CEOs are women and fewer than 20% of media executives are women, and obviously about 20% of our Congress are women. So we have a long way to go to break through in that area as well. But what's really astonishing to many people is to learn that only 10% of women are making more than $74,000 a year, which means only 10% of women are even in a room 
where there is a possibility of a glass ceiling in the first place. What's happening with the rest of us, with the 90% of women who are making less than $74,000 a year, is critically important not only to women, but to our country. Because women are now 50% of the labor force for the first time in history. And if we look at where job growth is expected to happen in the next 20, 30, 40 years, the areas of fastest job growth are actually in areas that are low wages and held primarily by women. So women are two-thirds of minimum wage earners right now, and the area of fastest expected job growth is in domestic care workers. And domestic care workers see some of the most discriminatory pay of any job and are in fact still largely exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act, so don't even have the same kinds of job protections that most other jobs in America have. And this again is the area of fastest job growth expected in the United States of America. So wealth inequality, which is rising in our country and which one MIT professor, Peter Temin, said that our current wealth inequality status in the United States of America actually puts us into a third world economy status, which is not good because we have such big gaps between the very rich and the rest of us. Wealth inequality in America actually impacts women more than men because women are more likely to be experiencing wealth inequality in the first place. So that means that we need to look at policies that are workplace protection policies and that are economic security policies that stick with the worker, with the woman, and not with the workplace. Things like access to paid family medical leave for everybody in our country, regardless of their job. Things like absolutely increasing the minimum wage. Things like making sure that everybody has access to affordable childcare. Things like making sure that access to healthcare for everyone and access to retirement benefits for everyone are also opened. Also things like possibly even considering universal basic income and different taxing structures as our economy has changed from a manufacturing economy to a consumer economy. And here's where we go full circle on women's economic power. We have now changed into a consumer economy where women make 80% of the consumer decisions and an economy on which 72% of our GDP is based on consumer spending. So women have massive economic power. But if we don't get fair pay, if we don't have good jobs, if we don't have the ability to fund our own families, then our whole economy will falter. It's really a ripple effect. So when women win, America wins, but when women lose, we all lose. And that goes for our economy too. It feels sometimes hearing that full rundown of stats really overwhelming. Like, where do I start? What are ways folks can get started without having to necessarily fly to a march or start going to town hall meetings? This is the good news section. That was the bad news section. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I have a good news section. The good news is that women of all income levels in all areas of our country are rising, raising their voices, and having a huge, powerful, positive impact. In the macro level, women just help save healthcare for 30 million people twice against all odds, against leadership in the U.S. House, the U.S. Senate, and the Oval Office who wanted to take away the Affordable Care Act. Nobody thought that people could do that. But 86% of the people who were making phone calls, attending town halls near them, sharing stories, going to their local member of Congress's office, speaking out in the media, 86% of those people were women. And you don't have to be somebody with a lot of extra time to make a difference. 
Right now, just picking up the phone and calling your member of Congress can take only 30 seconds and make a huge impact because there are so many people rising up that we're creating a tsunami of change. All those drops of water, all those moments of making a phone call, they're adding up and they're making a difference. And I get to see that where I work at Moms Rising, which is an incredible honor. And I get to see it not only happening at the federal level, but at the state level. At the state level, we're seeing that we're not only holding the line as women rising up, making those phone calls, sharing our stories, clicking on those online petitions. We're seeing that we're moving policies forward like some of the best paid family medical leave policies in the history of our nation have moved forward in the past several months. We've seen women move forward Equal Pay Opportunity Acts in multiple states. We've seen women move forward breaking the cradle to prison pipeline, which needs to be broken in multiple states. You know, the amount of positive power and action that is happening because women are raising their voices at the local level and at the national level is astonishing and inspiring. So you don't have to, you know, have a PhD or a million hours at your disposal. All you have to have is 30 seconds, 30 minutes, but you know, you really don't have to take time off from work to make change. Here at the Ferris Sense, we get real about money. So how real would it be if we then shoved a sponsor message on you trying to sell you something you don't need? Not very. So we won't do that. But we will tell you about services we love that save you money on things you already use. That's why we are super stoked that season two of The Fairer Sense is sponsored by Autoslash, the number one site for getting a great deal on a car rental. Because you gotta rent a car sometimes, right? Autoslash is completely free to use, and on average, renters save 30% or more using it. Autoslash searches all the major rental companies like Hertz, Avis, and Thrifty, so you won't end up in some sketchy no-name rental lot wondering what you've gotten yourself into. They do the legwork for you of seeking out the best discounts and coupon codes, so you save money and time. And they don't stop looking for deals when you book. Up until the day you pick up the car, Autoslash keeps searching for discounts and will email you if they find a lower rate. It's like price protection on your rental and one less thing you have to think about. Why can't all travel be like that? Right? Use Autoslash to book your next rental car at autoslash.com. In terms of in the workplace, what should we all as women be doing in our own little ways at work, not necessarily on the policy level, but things that are right around us every day? One of the things that's really important and really, really, really high impact is just talking about what's happening with women with other people. So we need legislative change, but we also need cultural change. And a lot of people don't realize the degree to which implicit bias, small subconscious decisions over time, add up and impact women and women of color in particular. So just sharing the data, like, hey, did you know that women make only 80 cents to a man's dollar, moms 71 cents, and women of color and moms of color have increased wage hits on top of that? Just sharing that and sharing that things like, did you know that if you have two resumes with equal experiences and jobs, that the mom is hired 80% less of the time than the non-mom and moms are judged more harshly and taken off the management track for fewer late days than non-moms? Just sharing those did you know moments can help people address their own implicit bias. Because there's not a committee of people saying, hey, let's pay women less. That's not happening. In fact, the fact that we are paying women less is actually hurting companies and it's hurting our economy. Tons of studies show that when you have more women in leadership, there are more corporate profits. So just putting that out there, 
more women in leadership, more corporate profit. So it's hurting companies in our economy to not advance women. So letting people know that they're living in a climate and in a culture of implicit bias helps them check their own subconscious implicit bias. Other things that people can do is you can advocate for pay transparency or making sure that each job title is linked to a job description that is linked to a salary range so that people are getting paid the same for the same work. It's not rocket science. But it does help a lot to really make sure that those unconscious, implicit bias decisions don't add up to real dollars in real people's pocketbooks being missing. We all, on some level, are more comfortable not sticking our necks out. You know, like there is always this feeling that we risk something to speak up. I know lots of women are overcoming that every day now. But for those who still feel a little bit nervous to put themselves out there or to open themselves up to that criticism, what would you say to help people feel comfortable? One of the things is you don't have to be sort of out there as an activist to make a difference. Making a phone call to your member of Congress, your state legislator, or your city council person is actually really easy. And in Keep Marching, we have sample scripts in the book for how to do that if you've never done it before. And it really, truly only takes 30 seconds. The other things you can do that make a difference, but you're not sort of sticking your neck out are doing things like signing a petition or an open letter online. People think it doesn't make a difference, but it does. One of the things that I know is a very real challenge for a lot of us right now is the fact that we are so politically polarized in this moment and the fact that, you know, in the past, you might just be quibbling over small tax cuts or things that feel relatively minor compared to what we're dealing with now, where we're, we're dealing with a political environment that's threatening massive rights for people every day, stuff that feels really core to our democracy and to our principles. And I know, at least just speaking for me, it feels much, much harder to bridge that gap to friends and relatives who have a different ideological set of principles than I do. And I know that you are married to a Republican uh, former lawmaker in Washington state. And so I'm wondering if you can just give us some tips on ways that we can still keep people with other views in the fold and, and not just shut folks out because of the time we live in. One of the big issues is right now, dialogue, real dialogue, often really begins at the point of disagreement. But often in the United States of America right now, we stop talking at the point of disagreement. And we're also in filter bubbles where we're getting really sourced information directly for our political view that we already held, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter, and all kinds of places, we're getting information just sort of aimed at us and our prior beliefs. So taking a minute to listen to people and listen across differences can really help pave the way toward finding new solutions. Because if it was easy to solve, if economic insecurity, if women's inequality, if racism, sexism, and xenophobia were easy to solve, then we would have already solved it. So so finding new ways to think about solutions is important. And it's also important to know, and this is particularly true with women's policy areas, that when this many people are having the same problem at the same time, we don't have an epidemic of personal failures of individual women. We have structural issues that we can solve together. So talking across those differences to finding new structures that can bring forward a new economy that reflects the contributions that women make every day is critical, I think, to moving forward. If somebody says something that feels closed-minded or um, let's even go there and say like racist or sexist, how do you respond to that in a way that feels productive? 
Well, first of all, I'm not advocating for anybody to lose their own moral compass. Listening is very different than losing your moral compass. So sit with your moral compass and then tell people phrases like, well, that's not my experience or how did you come to think that way? (laughs) Or can you tell me more about your background? Now, this is important because studies show that actually if you call out sexism or racism as racist or sexist to someone's face, that they become more entrenched in their actual prior beliefs. So in other words, they become more racist or sexist. So taking the time to have those difficult conversations where you share your own experiences, so listen, and then share your own experiences, and where then they can listen is really important. And I can tell you, I've had a high number of difficult conversations in my life, a very high number, with many, many, many different people. And you know, it's often a little tense, and sometimes it's a little scary, but usually, I have been heartened to see that breaking people's misconceptions and sharing more about my experiences and after listening has really helped to open several people's minds. Y'all know that we here on The Ferris Sense are huge fans of trying to demystify things that seem mysterious or that we aren't taught about or aren't taught to be literate in. And I so appreciate that with her book and with these conversations, Kristen is really trying to help people understand the landscape of policy and politics and activism, because I think that is an area that does seem especially mysterious. Like if you've never engaged in it before, politics is hard to understand, or it at the very least seems like something big that you as an individual can never possibly have an impact in. So I love her reminder that women have saved healthcare, for example, and that together we can make a difference on laws that help try to destroy the wage gap and try to create parental leave that's paid, which we don't have here in the U.S., things that we as women need more of. Yeah, it is so easy to feel intimidated by our systems and to feel, especially if you're in a marginalized community, that there is no space for you and that you can't have an impact. But that is never true. Something that really grinds my gears is when people say they don't vote because they're from a state where it doesn't make a difference because their state is so solidly blue or red. But votes always make a difference. And I am reminded of the election that featured human dumpster fire Roy Moore, where Black women turned out and he was defeated. And we 100% owe that to Black women who came out and voted against him. And that made a huge impact. So I believe very strongly in using your voice in whatever way you can. And it was so great to hear from Kristen about some ways that you can do that. If you're at all interested, her book again is called Keep Marching. It's filled with lots of great tips on scripts you can use to call members of Congress and how you can get involved in your local community without having to necessarily get on a plane to Washington like she did. Although her role in the Women's March for sure would have made that worth it for, I think, just about all of us. It's important to recognize that we as individuals can do a lot of this stuff and we don't need to be an expert. We don't need to have a fancy title or high-level position to be able to make change. I 
always considered myself someone who is very involved. <laughs> I've always been very vocal about my beliefs and I've always really tried to put my money where my mouth is. And something that I am doing more and more so that I have actual money <laughs> is to really support my local community. So keeping money local is really, really important to me. And specifically, I like to try and support women-owned businesses. And I do this in a variety of ways. I like to literally go shop at women-owned businesses or shop online at women-owned businesses. But also something that I've started doing in the last year is in my freelance writing, when I have to write top three best personal finance books, two of those books are going to be written by women on my list. <laughs> because in so many other articles like that, you can find an article where it's you know, top 10 personal finance books and it's all dudes or specifically all white dudes. And I see it as an act of activism to say, I'm going to include female authors on here. I'm going to include people of color on here and widen my reader's world a little bit. To me, so much of it is about recognizing what power you have and using that power. So we don't all have the position of being head of HR at a major corporation like Salesforce and being able to talk to the CEO and saying, hey, we have a wage gap that we need to address. But we all have some level of power. So I think like if you're junior in your career and you're just starting out, just talking to your colleagues and helping to share information among other women can be a huge step, just empowering people with that information. And I think one of the things that was really transformative for me was kind of recognizing as I got higher in my career that I had more power. So things that I wouldn't necessarily have done when I was in my 20s, by the time I was in a senior executive role in my mid to late 30s, I knew that I could talk to higher level people and push for things that I couldn't have pushed for earlier. And I really tried to do that. I tried to push for more diversity in hiring, which I've said this before, but it's definitely true. My company really valued that. So I was in a position where I could make that case and no one would really argue with me, but I could ask to prioritize that maybe over some other things. I could really push to help make asking for more money more normal among other women by doing it myself, even though I didn't technically need it once I was financially independent. So I think it's having that mindset of knowing that you can do things yourself, that you have power, but also being very cognizant of what that power actually looks like at each stage in your life and how you can use it most effectively without necessarily taking on great cost to yourself. Because the last thing we want to do is advise all you guys to go out and advocate and like then everybody gets fired <laughs> or like gets a bad reputation for being the, I mean, this is totally gendered, but like the difficult person in the office or the bossy person in the office who won't shut up about something. That's not what we want, but it's how can we use the positions that each of us have to make positive change for ourselves and for others. Yeah, there are levels to this. Don't worry. And I think too, I mean, a great comparison that comes to my mind is you have your burn your bra feminist, and then you have your not burn your bra feminist. <laughs> so I don't think that everyone needs to protest in the same ways. Not everyone needs to live according to the same activist guidelines. I think there's lots of ways to live like an insurgent. Just getting financially literate and talking about money, I think is a huge way of kind of living like a rebel. And I think if you decide, you know, you're only going to buy ethically made clothes and you don't tell a single soul that, you're still doing something really awesome and really revolutionary in many ways. So, you don't necessarily need to be marching, though love to see it out there, and you don't necessarily need to be the rabble rouser in the office to instigate change. All of this doesn't have to be like activism with a capital A. It can be just the little things where you're 
encouraging others to know their worth and to fight for it. Or it can be talking with the bosses at the office or the managers about making good decisions. And maybe it's putting it in the business case, you know, like Kristen said, that companies do better when there are more women in leadership, that they actually are more profitable when they have women CEOs. Things like that are good for people to know because I don't think those facts are widely known. Something that I think about a lot is uh, my racial identity and how I present. I've talked about before, I'm white passing, I am biracial. And I'm involved with a group of Latinx women here in town in Austin about how can we support women in color in business. And I think something that's really, really important to me is to be a part of this community and to know the role that I play in it. And to say that if we're going to go someplace and advocate for something, I need to be on the front lines because studies have shown that protests are A, more effective and B, safer when lighter skinned folk are up front and darker skinned folk are in the back. So I literally need to use my voice and my platform as a white passing person to advocate for other people who can't necessarily advocate for themselves. And that is not an everyday thing. I'm not waking up and being like, okay, to the marching lines. <laughs> but even when it happens, that's a role I get to play. And that can also manifest in much smaller ways where, you know, something that I do on Bravely, I use stock photos for all of our articles, but it's really important to me that I don't just have thin white women in my stock photos. I need to have women of color. I need to have women of different body sizes so that any woman who comes to my website is going to see a part of themselves represented and is going to know, oh yeah, I'm welcome here. So, I mean, there really are just like a bajillion ways that you can live your life in tandem with other people and as an ally to other people. The ally identity is really powerful. And I, we often talk here about allies as being men, you know, men who support women. And that's certainly true. And we need more guys out there fighting for wage equality and every level of equality for women. But I think that we as women, especially if you have any level of privilege, like you said, you're white passing. That's a privilege that not all women of color have. I'm straight up white. Like I had the most racist ancestors of all time who like didn't even mix with Italians. That was like too dark skinned for my relatives, apparently. I know this from 23andMe that I did last year. But I have an, a responsibility to be an ally to then people who don't have the privilege that comes with that. And so to your point, like thinking about ways that I can advocate for women of color or people of color, I also have a genetic disability, but I can often pass for able-bodied. And I'm trying more and more to use that privilege in a positive way and to think about what I can do to help smooth the way for others who are in a wheelchair or don't have the ability to pass for able-bodied ever. But I love your point too about like trying to represent different body sizes because I think that the idea of gender privilege is certainly something that we talk about a lot as a society. We talk about racial privilege a lot, but we are sort of still slow in branching out into some of the other distinctions or ways in which people might be privileged or not privileged. And I think body size, like fat is a big one. Binary, non-binary kind of gender distinctions are big ones that we need to be thinking about more and fighting for more. And then the disability versus able-bodied distinction. And, and my apologies if I'm not using the correct terms there. I'm, I'm still really trying to learn to be a better ally in that space. But just keeping our eyes open to think about like who's disenfranchised, who doesn't have a voice. And if I have a voice in this particular place or power in this particular discussion, how can I use it to help others? Even if it's only in like the tiniest, almost invisible way. You know, we are here for big splashes and I am definitely your ally in burning the system down. But <laughs> if that's not where you feel comfortable or that's not a safe space for you to be 
or something realistically for you to do. There are so many other ways. Something actually that I want to give a little shout out to a lot of our friends. Back in May, I had a Bravely event where I wanted to raise money at the event and online to send sanitary napkins, uh, tampons and pads. I don't need to use sanitary napkins, blah, (laughs) to the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. And I mentioned this to some of our female blogger friends and they rallied. Like they raised so much money and we were able to send hundreds of dollars worth of tampons and pads to this reservation. And that was just like, hey guys, if you're able to, this is a thing that I'm doing. Or if you just want to share on your social, please help me out. And several individuals sent me $100 each. And I'm just like, that's so generous. And that made such a big difference in what we were able to do. And even the people who didn't send $100 still were like, yeah, I want to be a part of this. And I want to contribute in some way. And that's I mean, it was amazing. I I cried several times in the process of raising that money because I was so touched by people's involvement at the drop of a hat. That's such a great example to me of the importance of kind of keeping your eyes and ears open to think about ways in which you might be privileged that you wouldn't even know, which I think is really like what the privilege discussion is about. I think we never talk about privilege as a means of trying to shame anyone or to make anyone feel bad for what they have. I'm a huge believer that what we have in life is a combination of the privilege that we bring to something and the hard work that we do. And it's never meant to disparage anyone's accomplishments, but it's just meant to help us examine some of the ways in which we live that maybe we don't notice. Like I, before you raised this, I had never thought of myself as being privileged just for like having all the tampons that I want, (laughs) you know, like That is, I think, a level of privilege that most of us just take for granted. We assume, okay, all women, like it sucks that we have to pay the pink tax on it. It sucks that tampons are taxed like candy. But you wouldn't think that that is something that a ton of people are struggling to get access to. But yet it is. And becoming aware of that and recognizing like in your case, like you don't have to raise millions of dollars to help people out. You helped raise hundreds and that's huge. And that will help a lot of very real women in their very real lives. And what a great example. And also just kudos to you for doing that. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, I chose a topic that I could take immediate and small action on. I didn't, it wasn't like global poverty. Let me tackle this at my May Bravely event. I was like, hey, online pads and tampons are not that expensive. If we raise just a couple hundred dollars, we can send hundreds to them, which will help them out for several months. And like, why wouldn't we do this? Okay, yeah. So I chose a manageable topic. People contributed manageable amounts of money and together we had an impact. So whatever your topic is, whatever way you want to contribute, all of it counts. I love that. And the fact that you not only said, here's a problem that we can tackle and we can make a big difference with, but you didn't put it all on yourself. You said like, how can I leverage my contacts and my platform and my friends and we can all accomplish this together and then feel really good about it as a team. And I think that that's so powerful. And that's something that we should all feel really empowered to do. You know, we all have, we're we're more connected than ever. We have contact with friends online who we maybe haven't even talked to in years, but who might share a similar passion and, and knowing that it's okay to ask people for that if it's for a good cause and not for your multi-level marketing, like trying to sell leggings, but like you were trying to help women with like the worst lack of privilege possible and help make their lives a little bit better and give them more economic mobility because they don't have to stay home when they're on their periods. They can still go to work and make money for their families. Oh, exactly. Exactly. 
This is a theme that we will keep touching on again and again. This is not the only time we're going to talk about things you can do because there are always things we can do. And we want to leave lots of space here on the Fair Sense for people to rant about things. We want to give voice to the anger that we rightly feel at so much that the patriarchy puts on us. And I think not just us, but that puts on men too. It's important to feel like we can each take action in our own ways. And so check out the show notes at the Fair Sense for this episode at thefairsense.com, where you can get links to all of the different topics we've covered today and to Kristen's book if you're interested in finding it at a library or buying it so that you can feel really well equipped to take action in whatever way feels right to you. I want to say that everyone's emotions are valid if you're feeling enraged. (laughs) But what comes next? How can we affect change? And so I hope that this has been a worthwhile listen. And if you have ideas or you have stories of how you've affected change in your own life, in the world at large, please share them with us. We would be more than happy to read them out here on the podcast and just to have in our lives. Sometimes we all need a motivational pickup. (laughs) So definitely shoot us an email, fairsense at gmail.com. And as always, we love the Twitters at Ferrisense. <laughs> and as always, we are so grateful for all of your wonderful reviews that folks have left us. And it's easier than ever to leave a star review on iTunes. You can just scroll down on the show page in your app and punch in five stars or however many stars you think we deserve. But we're super grateful for those. It helps other folks find the podcast. And y'all know we certainly want to keep spreading this message so more of us are out there fighting the good fight. Yes, come be a part of the fight with us. We're recruiting. <laughs> join the fight to smash the financial patriarchy yeah. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt yeah so uh, go out there and be rad and Tanya until next time stay rad yeah keep fighting that good fight Kara stay rad Fairer Sense are me, Tanya Hester, and the world's best co-host, Kara Perez. Our theme song is by The Insider, our ad music is by Kevin McLeod, and you can find out more info about the other artists you hear on the show at our website, thefairersense.com. You can always find me at ournextlife.com and Kara at bravelygo.co.